Well, the newcomers were on full display in the spring game. Freshmen, transfers, we saw a lot of them. And a lot of them look pretty darn good. Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked on Ducks. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day if you're watching on YouTube. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day and your number one source to stay up to date with the Ducks. If you haven't already, like, comment, subscribe, please, and thank you wherever you listen to or watch the show. We got my guy, Max Torres. He covers Oregon for Fan Nation at Sports Illustrated, host of the Ducks Dish podcast. He's got great stuff going on. Max, my man, how are we doing on this Thursday for us, Friday for all the normal people out there. I'm good. I'm good, man. You know, it's a it's a fun time for for duck football right now. You know, spring football is over, but that means that recruiting's ramping up. So <laughs> this is this is my time to shine, man. I I can't wait. It's been great. Yeah, ready to shine like Brucey in the longest yard. No, I'm kidding. Uh, though Brucey did have a successful onside kick, so maybe that wasn't as much of a shot as I initially thought it might come off as. But Incredible movie, The Longest Yard. But Oregon had a lot of newcomers on the field on Saturday in the spring game. I wanted to get your thoughts there. We kind of started a conversation over on your show, and I wanted to pick up on that front a bit and go in that direction. Also uh, talk about recruiting, of course, later, and then a fun question to wrap up today's show. But of all the newcomers, you can pick a transfer, you can pick a true freshman, doesn't really matter. Who stood out to you the most that was new for Oregon? Because, you know, my number one guy on offense was Troy Franklin. But, like, we already know what we're going to get in Troy Franklin. He might take another step forward. But of the newcomers, transfers and freshmen, who stood out the most to you? Yeah, so for me, I think maybe we can go one on each side of the ball. Um, I think the first one on on offense, at least, uh, would probably have to be Tez Johnson. I think that's the, you know, the easy answer, the basic pick. But how could you not say him? Um, you know, there's been so much hype all throughout spring ball, all throughout the offseason about about him and, and his connection with Bo. And uh, he just, you know, kicked it into another gear, showed that he has a, a different gear. You know, that's kind of what I've been talking about on, on my show and, and on my site about how people are telling me the whole spring. This guy just moves different. And that's exactly what he did in that spring game, you know, juking a couple defenders out of their socks and then just blazing uh, for uh, for six. So I thought that he looked really good. You know, he was an, an easy answer, I think, but still someone to get excited about for sure. Maybe an under-the-radar guy on offense, if we just want to stay on that side of the ball for a second. I'm going to go with Dante Dowdell, the freshman running back out I of love Picayune, it. Mississippi. The dude is a tank, yeah. you know, 6'2", 215. He should still be in high school. Looks like he's been in college for like three years. I know Carlos Lachlan loves that guy. And, um, I mean, it's it's really just the rich get richer. And it's not even like Dante did anything super crazy. He did lead the entire game in rushing, but he only had like 30-some-odd yards. Um, but the way he hit the hole and the way he just dragged defenders, I think he's definitely going to have like some of that Bucky Irving in him where it's almost impossible for just one guy to bring him down. But I think there's a difference in their running styles. They're very distinct. Dowdell is... He he looked kind of like C.J. Verdell, but stronger and faster, where he's a downhill kind of one cut back. But when he gets going forward, he is just tough to bring down. Bucky Irving is tough to bring down because he's just shifty. He will shift, shake, dance, zig, zag, and all that sort of stuff. 
to get away from defenders in, in the hole. So I, I, I like those picks. I, I definitely do. I, I think Tez Johnson was such a fascinating storyline going into the game and is coming out of it as well, because there's still an idea out there that Gary Bryant Jr. could be added to the roster. And you just kind of look at where you'd fit in. You're like, ah, I, 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 don't, I don't, I mean, I guess like, okay, I like having talented guys, but also I feel like we have a lot of talented guys. And speaking of wide receivers, I wanted to highlight this. Someone sent this to me uh, via Twitter DM. You know who you are. I apologize. I forgot to put it in, in my rundown for today's show. But I, I mentioned earlier this week that Kyler Casper, I thought, looked pretty good. If you just like watched what he was doing, he wasn't always getting the ball thrown his way. He did have a really great catch on the sideline, though, that looked exactly like the sort of player that could be a number one X receiver or a number one Z receiver when I think he was, I think they were running like a switch wheel on, on the far side of the field. And, you know, he was open, but the ball was a little behind and he turned around, made the catch behind his shoulder with, with two hands and got a foot down in bounds. He also had a contested ball that ended up being out of bounds down the sideline from, from Ty Thompson. And I watched his other routes and whatnot. And I feel like he was, really explosive and a guy who could very easily be Oregon's number two X receiver this year. He was that caliber of recruit coming out of high school. I, I liked what I saw from Kyler Casper. And that's why I'm kind of iffy on, you know, do we need to add Gary Bryant Jr. or Zachary Franklin from UTSA? Like, yeah, you, you, you could, but you know, the mindset there is, well, you want to add a transfer over a high school kid because he's more proven. Well, high school kids or recruits can't prove it until they actually see the field. And I think Casper's got a lot of talent. And if you give him a chance to see the field, I feel like he can do, do well. What do you think? Yeah, I, I would definitely have to agree. I mean, the guy was uber gifted coming out of, of high school. Um, and, you know, he did reclassify uh, to get to Oregon really, really early. So I think that that might be part of the reason why we didn't see him break through as a true freshman. It's just, you know, that's not an easy move to make for anybody. But now he's got a first, his, is his first true full off season. Um, in, in college, you know, getting to be in the weight room, getting to be with Junior Adams and, and those other talented wide receivers. I bet that Troy Franklin's kind of helped take him under his wing. Um, and then adding Trayshawn, Fran Trayshawn Holden, excuse me, Trayshawn Franklin. I'm getting all my names. That would up. be a heck of an athlete, <laughs> Trayshawn Franklin. Holy smokes. 6'3", 220 with that speed. Oh, boy. The, the reason that I, so Trayshawn Holden, like he could also help him because they're a little bit more similar body type. Um, but yeah, I think that he is definitely someone to, to keep an eye on this year and, and probably somebody that kind of gets lost in the mix when you're just talking about kind of the projected starters. Don't, don't forget about that, that six foot six, you know, 200, 205 pound guy out of Arizona. Uh, he's been doing his thing for a while and he's kind of looking for an opportunity, but to, yeah, to your point about Franklin, uh, of the Zakari variety out of UTSA. I mean, I don't think that he has like posted an official Oregon offer uh, or anything, but I, I just think that in the era of transfer portal and, you know, players following coaches, yeah, I, I don't think we can write it off because he had back-to-back thousand-plus -back yard seasons at UTSA, caught 94 passes last year. If, if he wants to come to Oregon, I, I don't see I don't see why you would turn him away. But um, it is kind of interesting to to obviously evaluate given Oregon's scholarship situation. They're going after uh, that uh, Louisiana Lafayette corner Trey Amos who entered the portal and then like picked up twenty offers instantly. Something like that. He's blowing up. Um, 
So it's going to be interesting to kind of monitor how they use their scholarships, uh, especially with Gary Bryant set to announce his commitment next Saturday. Uh, and I, I think I'm probably going to try to go to that one because I think the, the ceremonies out here in SoCal. Yeah, I, I, I could see the the logic in, you know, adding Franklin for sure. Zakari Franklin, that is. We've already got Troy. But, you know, to me, it just doesn't feel like it's a need. Like, I don't look at Oregon's wide receiver room and think that we need another body. You could have one. You see how one could slot in, maybe, you know, be useful if a couple guys get injured. You'd like to have some depth and talent and production there. We saw that last year. Chase Cota goes down. Dante Thornton slides in, and you don't have a production drop-off. And Thornton had some some really big games. Max is going to share who stood out to him on the defensive side of the ball as well amongst the newcomers because we've got quite – a few of them. But first, I'm going to tell you all about why you need to go get built bars. Yeah, we've been talking about them all week. All you everydayers out there know that, but I remain adamant that they are fantastic. They're a delicious snack, but without all the sugar and calories, they're the best tasting protein bar ever. They're healthy, they taste amazing, and they've got a bunch of great flavors covering 100% real dark chocolate. Flavors like churro, peanut butter brownie, cookies and cream, mint brownie. The list goes on and on. They're all covered in that delicious yummy chocolate. Only 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, a whopping 17 grams of protein. You can now get yours at one of three destinations. Go to your local Walmart, head over to the pharmacy section, get a box of four of cookies and cream, or go to Sam's Club, get a 13-bar variety box, or you can get specialty flavors at Built.com. Sam's Club, Walmart, Built.com, always to get your next order of Built Bars. Go check them out and all the great flavors, and you can thank me later. All right, Max, let's flip over to the defensive side of the ball. Who stood out amongst the newcomers, right? You know, there were a lot of players who I, I think looked good in one way or another, but amongst the guys who were new, who kind of popped the most to you on the defensive side of the ball? Man, where do you where do you start here? I, I think that um, the Oregon defense kind of stole the spring game. You know, it was a slow start. Uh, I know Ty Thompson was slow out of the gate, and and part of that was because the defenses were just playing well. Um, but there's a lot of way, plays we can, a lot of directions we can go. But I'm gonna st stick with the high school guys. Uh, Mateo Uyunglele would definitely be a, a big one that that stands out. He was kind of all over the place, um, looked really comfortable. But the guy I'm gonna go with is Cole Martin. I am mm. super fired up about Cole Martin um, just to, to get to see that explosiveness in his game. Uh, the guy isn't that big of a defensive back, which is maybe why he could have gotten written off a little bit, you know, just on the, the grand scheme of things in this amazing recruiting class for Oregon, um, you know, probably closer to five, nine than five ten. but uh, the guy moves. He, he plays like he's shot out of a cannon. He's twitchy. Um, he's really agile, has that amazing short area burst, and he's physical, in-your-face kind of a DB. Uh, had a couple of good breakups uh, on uh, Saturday during that spring game, and then he also had a, a pretty electric punt return that went for about 30 yards. You know, special teams plays can be a little bit hard to evaluate in a spring game. You know, don't want to get guys banged up, but I think that that dude could could really just be a guy that mixes things up in this cornerback room. I know that that's a, a competition that you and I have been talking about extensively this offseason. Um, and I think that Cole Martin could could definitely find himself playing a key role in what this defense does as far as attacking, replacing Christian Gonzalez. You know, you bring in Kyrie Jackson and then I think five corners from the high school ranks. And, and Cole Martin didn't waste any time getting to Eugene. You know, he had the uh, Adidas All-American Bowl in San Antonio, got to meet him there. Great young man. Uh, he was hurt, so he didn't play. 
but then he got on a flight and, and went out to Eugene and, and now he's uh, clearly there doing his thing. Yeah, I, I thought he was mighty impressive. And and by the way, was recording those pass breakups or great coverage moments against Chris Hudson, who is going into his third year starting in, in Oregon's offense. I think he played a little bit uh, the, the prior year, but regardless, like he, he's been a really good, he, I mean, he was a, a four-star recruit coming out of high school. He has looked the part since since playing for the Ducks. That's who Cole Martin was already prepared to go one-on-one against as a true freshman. I'm with you that he was really impressive. An interesting thing, and I, I'm curious as to your thoughts here, Max. I feel like Cole Martin looked the way we all kind of expect Roderick Pleasant to look. Smaller corner, but lightning quick. And that's kind of the, the scouting report on him. And I think having those sorts of guys... Like, yeah, you need some big body corners. But as I look to the future in this secondary, you know, Kyrie Jackson, I think, has two years of eligibility left. We'll, we'll see if he ends up coming back after this season. Jalil Florence still expected to be in the rotation. I love, absolutely love Jalil Florence's upside there. As you kind of go down the list, I feel like Martin and Pleasant coming in in the same recruiting class could very well be kind of joined at the hip as your, your nickel corners or maybe a starting corner going forward if you're okay playing you know one guy a bit smaller on on the outside yeah it's 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 a good point that you make and and honestly something I've been thinking about a little bit too since the game ended uh just how they do have similarities in their game and their frames are pretty similar uh the only difference right now is that Cole Martin's at Oregon and Roger Pleasant's trying to set more California state records and and you know be one yeah. of the one of the first guys I think to to go sub ten in the hundred. So obviously you know um, nothing wrong with that. You know we knew that track was super important to Roderick, and he's he's trying to you know finish his high school career the way he wants to, um, which I think is is definitely admirable in today's age of college football, where there's honestly a lot of pressure, Spencer, for for guys to get to Oregon, um, you know right away. I, I was talking to somebody at Modern Day the other day. And just kind of talking about the recruiting process and, you know, what it's like, you only get college once. And he was like, well, if you don't get there early, you're not starting. Um, or, you know, you're not really playing that much uh, as, as a true freshman. So um, just kind of another interesting element with it all. But I do think that that's kind of an advantage that this Oregon staff has is maybe you kind of look back on how Cole kind of adjusted to, to the college level and, and, you know, what his acclimation was like and, and how his skill set fit in the defense. And then maybe you see some of that carryover with Roderick and, and that could be kind of a, a hidden benefit to uh, Roderick getting here late, but uh, Cole already being there, maybe it kind of helps this defensive staff just kind of have him hit the ground running and, and, you know, maybe make an impact in 23. One thing on, on the defensive line newcomers that I wanted to ask you about is I'm with you that Mateo was, an impact newcomer and I mean he he looked fast he looked explosive he looks ready I mean to, to me he looks completely ready I don't know if he starts over Mace Funa who's got a lot of experience I don't know if he starts over Jordan Birch who's got college experience and also I thought had some good moments but to me Mateo looked far more impressive at least from kind of like an eye pop standpoint than than, than Jordan Birch did I thought Birch had some solid moments, but to me, like my overall takeaway was, boy, looks like Mateo is is the real deal. And Birch, you know, looked good, but I thought Mateo was 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 more impressive in that game, at least. Sure. No, I mean, and I think that's fair, but it's also important to note, you know, we can only take so much from a spring game. Um, you know, Birch didn't come to Oregon uh, to sit on the bench. 
So, no. you know, he's obviously going to be in the mix. Uh, I would assume that Mace Funa is going to start as well. Um, but I don't know. I think not in a way entirely dissimilar from the running back room. I wonder if once the entirety of the 23 class gets here and everyone's up and running, I think this Oregon staff might be able to have some fun, you know, when they put games away or just think about this, Spencer, like, you know, you have a team on the ropes, you know, they can't do a whole lot. And then say, say Birch or Funa needs a break. Hey, Mateo, go in there. And then there's no drop off. I'm not saying that's the case, but I think that's part of the vision that landing and Lapoy have of just, you know, Oh, Hey, that guy's out. Let's just bring in another dog. Like that's, that's the vision that you want to, you know, build towards. That's what these premier teams, premier programs have. That's what Georgia has. That's what Ohio state has. That's what Bama has. Like, you know, that's what you want to build towards. And then again, I think we talked about this uh, a little bit when we were talking some spring recruiting for the spring game, you can see that vision playing out in their plan. Look at the caliber of defensive linemen that were on campus this past weekend and that just shows you again that that is the vision that these guys are building towards. I think the defensive line is finally catching up to the offensive line, and it's really exciting to see. Yeah, I, I think Birch and Mateo are a pretty significant upgrade in terms of who your top edge defenders are with Mace Funa in there compared to you know who was in those spots last year, probably DJ Johnson, who had moments where, where he was good for sure, but the consistency you know felt like he, he disappeared on the field at times for the ducks and you know Braden Swinson was in there and Trevin Maai played some at edge I, I think when you go from that group to this year's group I think it's a, a pretty sizable jump it's almost as, as if we discussed the rundown for today's show because you have now created a perfect segue into our uh, mailbag question of the day for all you duck fans listening or watching out there you can always be a part of the mailbag YouTube comments or hit me up on Twitter at smalls underscore 55 or at locked on ducks. Those be the handles. This question came in from Richard. Do you see us landing more five stars if we win the Pac-12 and or get into the college football playoff? I think generally speaking, the answer is yes, it does help recruiting, but it's kind of a chicken of the egg question. It's like, do you win and then you can get more high level recruits? Or do you get more high-level recruits and then you can win at, at that higher level? I do think if you win a conference championship, it, it can help. But I think fundamentally, Max, it's far more dependent upon the staff and the priorities they have, the connections they have, their talents as, as recruiters. I do think that for Oregon at this point in time, because we've already been to the college football playoff, won Rose Bowls, won conference championships, I think the brand is enough to where they can go after, you know, like we talked about the big visitor list that you alluded to, they can already go after a bunch of five-star players and try to land multiple in, in a given recruiting cycle and have a bunch of blue chippers on there and be in that, that coveted ratio of at least 60%, you know, blue chippers or whatever, 55%, whatever that golden ratio is for teams that can contend to win a national championship. I think it can help. But I don't think it's, you know, a necessity where you would suddenly suddenly see Oregon recruiting explode and take off like it never has before if if Oregon goes out and wins the Pac-12 this year. Yeah, all those, you know, all those accolades and, you know, achievements that that you referenced, you know, college football playoff appearance, Rose Bowl championships, Pac-12 championships, that those are all great, but I, I don't think unless we're talking about a national championship, I, I don't think that they carry 
if they carry weight, I'm trying to think of the right way to say this. I just, I don't think it's going to sway a recruit like, Oh, Oregon won the PAC 12 last year, or they went to the the playoffs. So especially now that it's, you know, uh, expanding, it's going to make it carry less value if more teams can go in just naturally. But the, the point here, Spencer, is that Oregon has that brand. And I was talking about this the other day with somebody, I, I think, after talking to more people on this staff, I'm, you know, I'm a lot more connected to this landing staff than the crystal ball staff, which, you know, I'm very happy about. I, I think I'm ready to say that, that this staff at Oregon is, is going to be, if they're not already better recruiters than what we saw from crystal ball at Oregon. Um, just after, you know, covering the team really closely with that. I and mean, I'm not really? saying that the crystal ball staff was, was bad by any means. I mean, they, no, they brought the, the highest rated class in program history, but I do feel like we're seeing all these departures from the 21 class. It does kind of maybe hit, take a, the, the class takes a little bit of a ding just because not as many guys panned out. Right. And it was COVID, you know, that year before. So it's kind of hard to evaluate guys, but this landing staff is operating at a different level. And I can't emphasize that enough. You know, he's just so organized. Everybody, there's no, you know, uh, I before me, you know, what's the, there's some adage, you know, they're all in it together. That's what I'm trying to say. And no one's like, I was about you know, to say I before about, E except after C. No. Yeah. I almost caught myself doing that too. Um, but Which no. is a crap rule, by the way, because it's only applicable no like 70% of the time. I remember learning that. And then as the, the years went on, it was like, wait, so that's EI, that's EI, that's EI. That what, Why do we have this? This isn't a rule. This is just a guessing game. So, yeah, no, it's – I don't know how we got into that. I just – maybe it's because it's kind of early in the morning and I'm not all there yet. It's completely my fault. I'm amazed so many people will put up with me here on the show and all my shenanigans. No, you're, you're anyway, chilling. continue. You're chilling. But, no, seriously, I mean, that that sounds pretty bold to say that this, this landing staff, I think, is going to go down as being better recruiters than the Cristobal staff. But I remember texting somebody, and I told you this on a, a show a long time ago um, on signing day texting one of my sources at Oregon and they were saying this 24 class is going to go down as the best in history. At least that's the goal right now. And the, the caliber of the talent that's coming in, you know, we got five-star updates, right? We got Brandon Baker out of modern day. And I talked to him the other day. He's got everybody in the country coming after him, but uh, he came out for the spring game. And I think Oregon put themselves in an awesome spot there. You got Jordan Ross, a five-star edge rusher from Alabama that came out. And I think Oregon leads for him now. Uh, and, you know, maybe that's something that is, is hard for people to believe, seeing that he's in Alabama and in the South. But I think that Oregon leads there, if not is a serious contender for him. So I think it's just it's not so much about the the playoff and the, the Pac-12 title game. It's about who you have on your staff. And if you have a brand to, to market, you know, to boot, like to add on to that. It's just it, it's funny because you, there's like already such a high floor just for anyone being at Oregon, you know, you talk, you know, Hey, I'm from Oregon and I want to recruit you. That's, that's going to catch some eyeballs right away. So I think that, uh, there's, they're on a trajectory to get more five stars. And I, I just think that it's a natural product of the, the foundation that has, has been put in place. You know, Lanning saw what Cristobal did and he's looking back like, Oh yeah, I remember like at Bama, we did this at, at Georgia, we did this. And he's just applying that to Oregon. And I'm hearing recruits say that, you know, like he's already done so much amazing stuff at Georgia. And I think he just wants to do the same thing at Oregon and, and make it even more special. He's not exactly what I was uh, as a hitter in my youth baseball career, which is just try and get it over the second baseman's head into right field for a base hit. He's swinging for the fences here 
is uh is, is what you're saying which by the way i'm completely on board with like you gotta do it if you if if you did like our ultimate goals win a national championship right clearly that, that like this is what it takes you got to be able to recruit at that level to go up against the these big time sec schools so i i love hearing that and i'm fascinated to see how that all plays out let's end with a a fun mailbag question that came in the other day from uh tanya shipley uh who's asked a couple good ones over the last couple weeks another question for some the marquee moment that they think of when they think oregon ducks is the pick by kenny wheaton what is your personal marquee moment now I will, I will start. No, I'll, okay. I'll let, I'll let Max. Oh, oh, I was going to say I'll, you should start. Cause I'm okay. 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 I'll, okay. I'll, I'll start. So I wasn't alive for the pick. I am um, a younger fellow as those of you on YouTube can definitely see I'm older than I look, but still relatively young ish. So I wasn't alive for the pick. That's the most iconic moment in Oregon football history. I think if you go back to, you know, my lifetime as an Oregon football fan, there are a lot of different moments. I've, I've got two. I've got two or no, sorry, three. I've got three that stand out in my head. I really don't know how to differentiate these. Like two are probably above one, but I love the other one so much. So first one, LaMichael's punctuation touchdown against Stanford 2010 in the undefeated regular season went to the national championship game, which Jerry Allen so appropriately adjudicated on the airwaves as statement 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 because that was we were down 21 to 3 all hope was looking lost we came back won the game like 51 to 30 or whatever it was some something like that so that's definitely one of them in route to the national championship that same season and this is the one that's probably below but just kind of like for me embodied everything that made that era of Oregon football so special at USC in the Coliseum in the whiteout jersey storm LA Stormtrooper. Yeah, I love Kenyon. those. I absolutely love those outfits. No, that was 2012. Kenyon, okay. Kenyon running crazy was 2012. But in 2010, there was a moment on the broadcast where, you know, and Chip Kelly was just this big, hot name. He was the big, hot name in college football because he was going fast. He wasn't huddling. He was spread. He was just all about speed. That's what it was. And we were, you know, like the coolest team in the country. And Kirk Herbstreet on that USC game said, there's no way with 32 seconds inside his own five, Chip Kelly's going to try and score a dent again, does he? Like, There's no way he has the audacity to try and score again, does he? And then we go play action four verticals and we get like out to midfield. Darren Thomas ended up fumbling to end the half and we didn't get it. But he and Brent Musburger were just beside themselves. And that moment, I think, just encapsulates what made it so much fun is Chip just came in and pushed the envelope, right? So those two moments from that season are definitely in there. And, you know, as, as a play-by-play broadcaster, like I just have a special affinity for that one because those guys are just being so authentic in that moment. Like there's no way they're going to do this. Right. And then they are just losing Kirk's voice cracks. They're like, Oh my gosh, every other coach in America, conventional wisdom would have said, take a knee, go to the half with a lead. And Chip was like, nope, we're going to try and score again. We're going four verticals. So I love those two. But then the other one, Rose Bowl 2015. I was there in person against Florida State. Jameis Winston Winston loses the ball. Tony Washington streaking the other way. I think those are the three moments that are probably the most identifiable for me. I think the Winston one is probably the one that, that, that people outside of Oregon know the best, but... 
those are the moments that popped into my head. A lot of different ones you could go to. But to me, given the grand stage that Oregon seasons were taking place on in those years, those are the ones that that stood out for me. What do you oh, think? Oh man. Yeah, those are those are some really good ones for sure. I think for um LaMichael's punctuating run in 2010, I think you said it was. I think I I remember that I was sick from school that day and I was sitting on my grandparents' uh couch or my grandpa's rocking chair watching that one. So that was pretty legendary. Um uh, and then yeah, I was at the Rose Bowl too. That was super cool. Wasn't the biggest fan of those uniforms. I think I'm on the outside. Really? With, you with that. are in the minority. Too, I too love right for me. I didn't really like it, but they, they kicked some butt in those in those uniforms. So that's cool. So I'm going to try to go uh, narrow down a couple. Um, I think one of the earlier ones that I have, like kind of iconic moments, but it was more so a big game, was 2013 against Washington State. It was an absolute blowout of a game when Marcus Mariota was still there, but they had the, the pink uniforms, the pink helmets. He did really well. Byron Marshall Ooh. had himself a game. He's from San Jose, so uh, I always get excited hearing about that. Um, but that was an awesome game, you know, really good seats for that one. Um, and, and my sister was – I think that was my sister's freshman year at I Oregon. I love the pink helmets. So that was kind of cool to, to be able to experience that with her and the whole fam. Um, and then – oh, shoot, I can't remember the year. It might have been 2017, I think, the the um, triple overtime game against Arizona State. With Vernon Adams and, and Braylon Addison. Yes. 2015. Oh. Okay, shoot. I got, my, I got my years messed up. But I was watching that one at home, and I remember, like, I think, yeah, I was in high school. No, yeah, I was in high school super late, and I was like, I don't care what's happening. I have to finish watching this game. Yep. And it was just, like, punch after punch, and I'm like, what is happening? <laughs> and then, and then I, I'm pretty sure I was, like, screaming around my house when they, when they confirmed that touchdown. Uh, and then Dwayne Stanford had that insane grab over the middle in the end zone where well, he collided. Yeah, on fourth down, Vernon Adams, the desperation heave, he crashes into his own guy. I think it was Evan Bayless. Yeah, it was he, a tight end, yeah. Yeah, that he went barreling into. That's so that, that, that's a good one. That, that is, one was That was nuts. I love that game. And then the last one I'm going to say, I think, is um, – was it – it might have been 20 – no, 2014. Um, Oregon against Washington at home in Eugene. Uh, that's when they had the retro, the pick oh, uniforms so good. and just beat the heck out of, out of Washington. It was 45 to 20, I think. Um, and, you know, there was just, there was never really a doubt. You know, I think that year was obviously a very special year. Every game that they went into, it was just like, all right, like, when are they going to put this one like way out of reach? Um, and, and they had that really good defensive line with, you know, Defoe and, and, um, Armstead and Armstead, which I feel like we're seeing more of those guys coming to Eugene on a regular yeah. basis. Those types of guys. I think that this year's D line has the potential to be on that level, if not higher. So that was an awesome game rivalry game. Uh, you know, Austin was electric. So you, you can't just pick one. We both went with three, but I think it was, <laughs> yeah, it was a lot of good ones. It's, it's, it's very, it's very hard to choose one, but I loved that question to end, uh, to end the week of shows on a Friday. Max Torres is the host of the Ducks Dish podcast. He covers Oregon for Fan Nation at Sports Illustrated. We love having him on the show. As always, Max, my man, so good to talk to you. Thanks for coming on. Appreciate you having me on, Spencer. Always fun to talk some Ducks. Send me some mailbag questions. I put out some feelers on Twitter. I don't always get the most responses, but I want to do more mailbag stuff like, like you do on your show, Spencer. So, just wanted to put that in there, but appreciate you having me on, man. It was great yeah, as always. Man. Anytime. Go give the man some love. He's at mTorres Sports on Twitter. Until Monday, when I'll be back in your feeds, whether you listen to or watch the show. Appreciate everyone listening. Have a wonderful rest of your day, and go Ducks.